if Democrat Raphael Warnock hadn't defeated Republican Kelly Leffler on January 5th, Democrats wouldn't now control the U.S. Senate and with it, the power to enact President Biden's agenda on everything from COVID relief to racial justice and immigration reform. And if they're looking for someone to thank, they need to search no further than the small group of bold, powerful, determined women, most of whom are black, who played for the WNBA's Atlanta Dream last season. Several months into his campaign to unseat Leffler, who's also a co-owner of the Dream, Reverend Warnock's name recognition with Georgia voters was in the high single digits. And so was the likelihood he could possibly advance to a runoff, let alone actually win election to the United States Senate. But... Thanks to the extraordinary support he received from the Dream and their WNBA brethren, Warnock defeated Leffler by two points, more than seven times the margin by which Joe Biden beat Donald Trump on Election Day back in November. And early on the morning of January 6th, Warnock claimed victory as the first black senator ever to represent the state of Georgia. My mother, who as a teenager growing up in Waycross, Georgia, used to pick somebody else's cotton. But the other day, because this is America. The 82-year-old hands that used to pick somebody else's cotton went to the polls and picked her youngest son to be a United States senator. So I come before you tonight as a man shown in me, and I promise you this tonight, I am going to the Senate to work for all of Georgia. No matter who you cast your vote for in this election, in this moment in American history, Washington has a choice to make. In fact, all of us have a choice to make. Will we continue to divide, distract, and dishonor one another? Or will we love our neighbors as we love ourselves? Powerful words from a newly sworn in freshman senator, and certainly unlike anything we ever heard from his defeated opponent. So how did this happen? Who are these courageous women most responsible for Warnock's victory in Georgia and Democrats retaking control of the Senate? On this episode of Wrecking the Toy Department, where we won't just stick to sports because we don't have the privilege of doing so, we'll look at why these women put their livelihoods on the line to make sure a team owner in a league they played in, and for some of them, the woman who signed their paychecks, got voted out of the U.S. Senate. The seeds of this fight were sown from the moment Leffler was appointed by Georgia Governor Brian Kemp back in January 2020 to replace retiring Republican Senator Johnny Isaacson. Leffler was not the first choice of Donald Trump and his most fervent supporters. They preferred Doug Collins, who at that time was the top Republican on the United States House Judiciary Committee and a fierce Trump defender during last year's impeachment hearings. He's also viewed as much more solidly conservative than Leffler. But Kemp chose Leffler based on electoral practicality and his own hopes for political survival, having beaten Democrat Stacey Abrams in 2018 by just 15,000 votes. University of Georgia political science professor Charles Bullock told Vox Media, quote, The governor's support in 2018 was very much rural-based, and he got clobbered in metro Atlanta and the other urban centers. A component that moved against Republicans were suburbanites, particularly white women suburbanites. End quote. Leffler, it was presumed, could lure suburban and moderate white women back to the Republican tent. But could she hold the party's conservative base? 
Trump certainly didn't think so and blasted the decision to appoint her from the start. He later refused to endorse Leffler for re-election, instead encouraging Collins to challenge her in November. Leffler seemed to sense this as well, and from the moment Kemp introduced her as Georgia's next senator, the former moderate mainstream Republican took a hard right turn to try to prove her ultra-conservative bona fides. I am angered by the impeachment circus. I oppose it. It's a distraction and a sideshow. Make no mistake, Washington Democrats want to overturn much more than an election. They want to overturn our way of life because they resent America's success. They can't tell you how much their socialist ideas will cost. They don't care how many jobs will be destroyed. And they can't even agree that they want to protect our borders. The only thing they agree on is that they hate Donald Trump. Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, that whole socialist gang in Washington, they've taken over the Democrat Party. And they will not stop until America bends to their every demand and everything that has made our country great is destroyed. This is the fight of our generation, and this is why I am here. Remember her words, always, especially the part about wanting to overturn an election. Despite that initial foray into the deep end of the Trump pool, Leffler had one eye on appealing to the constituency Kemp had in mind when he appointed her. And that appeared to be her strategy when she spoke at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, where Martin Luther King Jr. was once the pastor, to celebrate the anniversary of his birthday last year. I am so humbled to be here with you today in this sacred place. Dr. King's story, his leadership, his words and actions had a profound effect on my life and on my values. Dr. King's call to service, to sacrifice, to put others first, it shaped our home and inspired us to ask what Dr. King asked the world, what are you doing for others? That pressing question holds much power, both here in a church that puts words into action and for leaders who carry on his work today people with the understanding that love thy neighbor has no fine print. I seek to live in a way that honors Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Coretta Scott King, and the entire King family, not just on this special occasion, but every day. The pastor of that church back in January 2020 was Raphael Warnock, who a week and a half later would announce his candidacy for the Senate against Leffler, the co-owner of the Atlanta Dream, a team named for the famous speech Martin Luther King Jr. delivered from the foot of the Lincoln Memorial following the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom back in August 1963. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners 
will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? Reverend Warnock seemed to have prepared his sermon in anticipation of both Senator Leffler's remarks as well as his own Senate run. As pastor of this church, I, I always find this day very interesting. I love this day because folk will line up today in churches and auditoriums all across the land. Leaders, people, and politicians of every stripe falling all over themselves to pay tribute, to offer platitudes, to give lip service to Dr. King. It's MLK weekend, and everybody wants to be seen standing where Dr. King stood. That's fine. You're welcome. But if today you would stand in this holy place where Dr. King stood, make sure that come tomorrow we'll find you standing where Dr. King stood. What he had to say about how politicians sometimes treat the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday would, sadly, frame the entirety of the Warnock-Leffler Senate contest. Four months later, the country found itself in the midst of two pandemics, of COVID-19 and racial strife. By Memorial Day, updates on the coronavirus had been bumped from the front page for the names of people no American can honestly say they wanted to learn about under the circumstances we did. Ahmad Aubrey, a 25-year-old black man who was shot while out running in a predominantly white neighborhood near Atlanta by two white men who decided they could take the law and a man's life in their own hands. When police arrived on the scene, Arbery was still alive, in the middle of the street, wounded by gunshots. The responding officers did not immediately try any life-saving techniques on him, and Arbery later died. Brianna Taylor, a 26-year-old black medical worker who was shot to death in the middle of the night in her own apartment by Louisville police during a botched raid in which officers were acting on what's called a no-knock warrant. And among the unthinkable rafts of death, of black men and women, directly or indirectly because of police conduct, was the murder heard and seen around the world, that of 46-year-old George Floyd at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer. My stomach hurts. My neck hurts. Everything hurts. Ah, there's water or something. Please. Please. Ah, I can't breathe, officer. Ah, Shut up. Oh, they gonna kill me, man. Yeah. <laughs> How long y'all gotta hey, hold him down? Why we don't do drugs, kids? It ain't about drugs, bro. Y'all understand that? Yeah, y'all don't gotta put y'all in there, Right. On June 3rd, this is what Senator Leffler told WTVM, the ABC affiliate station Columbus, Georgia. Her response would be in the aftermath of Mr. Floyd's death and the worldwide protest for racial justice that it sparked. These peaceful protests that started were aimed at trying to create a dialogue. But sadly, I mean, they've been overtaken by this violent element and couldn't agree more with the words of, of George Floyd's brother, Terrence, when he said, we must find another way to do this. And that's why I signed on to, to a bill to deem Antifa and other organizations like that, a domestic terrorism organization. We have got to stop the violence. It's hurting our communities. It's costing lives. It's impacting our ability to have the important conversations that we need to have right now. This statement would be downright laughable if it weren't so terribly dangerous. On June 1st, Peaceful 
protesters were out in Washington, D.C.'s Lafayette Square. Meanwhile, Donald Trump was on the phone with various governors, telling them that their responses to the social justice rallies and protests in their own cities were quote-unquote weak, and he was planning to show them exactly the kind of response he was talking about. In response to the protests taking place two blocks from the White House, Trump called in the Secret Service and other federal agents to respond. That's when the bangs of tear gas canisters sounded. Audio there, courtesy of the Associated Press. As this was happening, Trump headed out to the Rose Garden for a speech in which he said the word riot five times in reference to social justice protests and made the following statement saying, quote, We cannot allow the righteous cries of peaceful protesters to be drowned out by an angry mob. I will fight to protect you. I am your president of law and order and an ally of all peaceful protesters, unquote. We all know that's undeniably bull. After finishing his speech, Trump headed over to the area in Lafayette Square he just had violently cleared out and stood in front of the St. John's Church for a photo op in which he held up a Bible upside down. Asked by a reporter if it was his Bible, Trump replied it was, quote, a Bible, unquote. This is the wagon Kelly Leffler hitched her political fortunes to, setting out on a path that effectively made her the arch enemy of her employees, as well as most of a league where approximately 70% of the players are black. It was as though Leffler decided that the stances she thought she'd have to take to win re-election were worth torching what had been until she applied for the Senate seat in 2019, her life's ambition. As a 5'10 high school freshman basketball player in rural Illinois, she stood out for her on-court hustle. Whatever she lacked in talent, she made up for in determination. She and her brother would batter the rims of the basketball court at their family farm and practice in gyms with no air conditioning. All the while, Leffler dreamed of a rise like Michael Jordan. We went from getting cut by his high school's varsity basketball team to becoming one of the greatest players in NBA history. Her visions of on-court basketball glory never became reality, but after earning her MBA and becoming spectacularly wealthy, she found her way back to the business she dreamed of being a part of for most of her life. In 2010, team officials of the Atlanta Dream, a then floundering WNBA franchise on its second owner in four years, invited Leffler to a game in the hope she might invest in a franchise she knew wasn't going to make any money at the time. But the money-making aspect wasn't what appealed to her. Leffler wanted to be in basketball, and she told NPR in 2011, when she joined the team's ownership group with co-owner Mary Brock, what mattered most was, quote, the importance of being a woman owner, unquote. This is a woman who liked, quote, this line from former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. There's a special place in hell. For women who don't help each other. The team's coach at the time, Marinelle Meters, recently told the Washington Post, quote, When I was there, she was pro-players all the way. She wanted the team to be front-runners for women, unquote. Before each season started, Leffler would invite everyone to her home for a team dinner. She'd plan her travel schedule around the dreams so as not to miss a single game. 
She'd keep detailed notes on the minutiae of each game, and when the buzzer sounded, she'd congratulate or console her players before heading to the locker room to find then-coach Michael Cooper. They would then sit together in his office, breaking down the X's and O's of the game they both love. But once Leffler became a senator, she effectively estranged herself from the franchise she'd co-owned for nearly a decade, with the final severance coming shortly after players league-wide announced their intent to devote the season to racial justice. The New York Liberty's Laisha Clarendon spoke for most of the league when she addressed a live TV audience right before tip-off of the WNBA's first regular season game. We are dedicating this season to Say Her Name campaign, a campaign committed to saying the names and fighting for justice for black women. Black women who are so often forgotten in this fight for justice, who do not have people marching in the streets for them. We will say her name. Sandra Bland, Atiana Jefferson, Dominique Remy Fells, and Brianna Taylor. We will be a voice for the voiceless. For Kelly Leffler, these statements, expressions, and intentions were several steps too far. In response, she wrote an open letter to WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert, quote, players, coaches, and yes, team owners share differing opinions on many issues. All of us have a constitutional right to hold and to express our views. But to subscribe to a particular political agenda undermines the potential of the sport and sends a message of exclusion. The truth is we need less, not more, politics in sports. In a time when polarizing politics is as divisive as ever, sports has the power to be a unifying antidote. And now more than ever, we should be united in our goal to remove politics from sports. End quote. The nicest description for the letter is pretzel logic. The least polite would be mendacity. Leffler is essentially arguing that because the players do not agree with her politics or those of her political base, even though they represent a supermajority of the league, they should be denied a platform to express their views. In public statements and interviews, Leffler repeatedly made false claims about Black Lives Matter, calling it a political movement steeped in communism, anti-Semitism, and a mission to decimate the nuclear family, rather than what it is. What the Dream players wrote in a July 10th Twitter statement, quote, This is not a political statement. This is a statement of humanity. Black lives matter, end quote. That's what Natasha Cloud of the Washington Mystics told CNN's Don Lemon in a July 7th interview. When our league is made up of 80% of black females, this directly affects us. Every single day when we take off those uniforms, we walk out into the world and we can potentially be George Floyd. Shoot, we can be in our beds and be ground a Taylor. So for her to come out and say that we're divisive and that Black Lives Matters movement is a divisive organization, I, I call her BS on that. Atlanta in itself, their starting five is all black females. So to be a partial owner in that and you know cheer on the sidelines and support your players, but you don't support them when they take those uniforms off, it's a problem. And that's not only a Loeffler problem, that's America's problem is They look at us as athletes and expect us just to shoot and score and and score touchdowns and not have an opinion about something that directly affects us. Initially, the players attempted to fight fire with fire, publicly calling on Leffler to sell her stake in the Atlanta Dream. This only turned up the flame on the conflict, allowing Leffler to publicly goad the players into a fight, as she did with Laura Ingram on Fox News. Any chance, Senator, that you are going to step aside as an owner, give up your interest or sell it off? Any chance? 
Look, Laura, the, what's, at, what's at stake here is, is yes much or no. more than it's a, a It's not wiggle room. Come on. I mean, this is uh, the Ingram angle. What's no. it? Yes or no? No. No. Of this space, Seattle guard Sue Bird, who ultimately led the charge to find a suitable opponent for WNBA players to endorse against Leffler, told the New York Times, quote, she wants us to get mad. She wants us to try to kick her out. That would give her more attention. This is what she wants, unquote. And that strategy also allowed Leffler to play the victim card, as she did in this interview with a pseudo-journalistic, and that's an overly nice description, One America News Network. The reaction has been pretty uh, swift and, and angry, which I think is, is completely expected in today's cancel culture, where if you're disagreed with, they want to cancel you, they want to take away your business, they want to boycott you, they want to kick you out of your job or your school. And I'm standing up to say, this is a country where we have freedom of expression. You should not be canceled for saying what you believe. Because the player's initial strategy wasn't working, Bird told the Times, quote, we had to find a better way, unquote. Phase one of their new multi-pronged strategy was to stop using Leffler's name, be it in interviews, public statements, or on social media. Speaking to the New York Times, League Player Association President Neka Ogwamike said, words are things, words have power, and to give energy to a name, I think, is very meaningful. So we stopped saying that name, end quote. The next move was the most crucial. In a series of video calls with advisors, including former First Lady Michelle Obama and Stacey Abrams, the Democratic candidate for governor of Georgia in 2018, the players began vetting Leffler's potential political opponents. Sue Bird said that when the players spoke to Reverend Warnock via Zoom for the first time, they knew immediately they'd found their candidate. This despite the fact that five months after having announced his candidacy, Warnock's name recognition with voters stood at 9% hardly the mark of a formidable opponent. Yet, they persisted. Within days, black t-shirts emblazoned with the two words, Vote Warnock, became ubiquitous across the WNBA, appearing everywhere from players' social media feeds to the shot of players exiting their team buses ahead of nationally televised games. Amira Rose Davis, an assistant professor at Penn State University who specializes in race, sports, and gender, told the New York Times, quote, It's unprecedented adding, this is different, the coordination, the strategic part, the specificity, taking the time to meet a candidate and then to back that candidate as a group. That has never happened before, end quote. In the days right after the player's initial push, the Warnock campaign said it received $236,000 in donations, and for the first time, polls showed Warnock ahead of Leffler. Meanwhile, Leffler ignored Warnock, instead turning her attention to the challenge she faced from her own party's right wing, Trump's original first choice for the Senate seat, Congressman Doug Collins. To that end, Leffler's campaign released two ads, the first of which referred to Collins as one of the most liberal members of the U.S. House of Representatives and the second, casting herself as more conservative than Attila the Hun. Did you know Kelly Leffler was ranked the most conservative senator in America? Yep, she's more conservative than Attila the Hun. Fight China. Got it. Attack big government. Yeah. Eliminate the liberal scribes. More conservative than Attila the Hun. Uh-oh. You can't make this up. Kennesaw State University professor John Givens told Georgia Public Radio he found the ad's messaging and rhetoric both dangerous and disturbing. Quote, would there have been a right to free speech in the Hunnic Empire? 
Probably not. So if you're saying that you would be harder on free speech than the tale of the hunt, then that's a problem. End quote. Givens also said that Ad's personification of Attila the Hun as a grunting, languageless warlord has roots in the elitism of the time. Quote, it has the idea of the Greeks and Romans that we are civilization. Everything outside of our civilization are barbarians right there. Uncivilized. End quote. At this point, there's a part of me that wants to just throw my hands up in the air and ask, have I given you enough examples of why Kelly Leffler's own employees wanted her out of the league and the U.S. Senate? But then I remember I haven't even reached her runoff race against Reverend Warnock. And if you thought what she'd done leading up to that point was bad, well... I'll give Kelly Leffler some credit, though. Unlike the other former Republican senator from Georgia, the feckless and arrogant David Perdue, who lost his runoff election to John Ossoff, Leffler at least had the decency to debate her opponent, sort of. Rather than expound upon her own accomplishments or policy proposals, she said some version of these four words 14 times in a less than one hour long debate. Radical liberal Raphael Warnock. During their lone Senate debate, four weeks after the presidential election had officially been called for Joe Biden, the two candidates were allowed to ask questions of each other. Yes or no, Senator Leffler, did Donald Trump lose a recent presidential election? You know, President Trump has every right to use every legal recourse available. In our own state, we've seen time and again that we have investigations that need to be completed. In fact, we've run two audits, and those audits discovered thousands of ballots across several counties here in Georgia that were not counted. Later in the debate, Warnock questioned Leffler's decision to pit her employees on the Atlanta Dream in a political battle of wills. We saw this summer a multiracial coalition of conscience pouring out into American streets after the tragic deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey and so many others. And what did Kelly Leffler do? She used her enormous privilege and power as a United States senator to pick a fight with the black women on her team who know what it's like to grow up in a community where you have to have two talks with your children, one with about the birds and the bees and the other about what happens if you're pulled over by police officers. To acknowledge that is not to condemn police officers in general. Uh, I've worked with police across the years. I've been invited to speak at their memorial services when they've lost their lives in the line of duty. And she says she uh, is against racism and that racism has no place, but she welcomed the support of a QAnon conspiracy theorist and she sat down with a white supremacist for an interview. I don't think she can explain that. Well, that's incredibly sad, these comments that he's made. I mean, first of all, there's not a racist bone in my body. I have worked to bring communities together my entire life. But this is really terrible coming from someone who has divided people continually. Oh, come the f*** on. I'm going to play something Entercom sports radio host Carrington Harrison said on Chicago's 670 The Score back in October, after Tony La Russa said the same thing about not having a racist bone in his body, when a reporter questioned him about his previous comments regarding player protests and activism. There's not a racist bone in my body is on every racist person, bingo. Every racist person I've ever had an interaction with has always said there's not a racist bone in my body. And Leffler's actions belie her statements. First, she tried to otherize Warnock and not just by repeating the words radical liberal 14 times during their debate. 
Her campaign also ran a paid Facebook ad in which Warnock's skin was noticeably and artificially darkened. According to the Facebook ad library, the campaign spent $40,000 on this ad, which netted around 1 million impressions. The ad claims Warnock was, quote, trained by Marxists and ends with this line. Warnock isn't just radical. He's dangerous. This is how Jamie Harrison, current DNC chair and South Carolina's 2020 Democratic nominee for senator against incumbent Lindsey Graham, described Leffler's campaign strategy against his friend during a January 7th interview with Tremaine Lee, host of the podcast Into America. He went through the fire. They called him, as my grandma said, they called him everything but a child child of God. Yep. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I find it heartbreaking not only that Tremaine Lee anticipated Harrison's exact words, but that they both both laughed, although I suppose that there is a bittersweet aspect to the reaction, given that Warnock prevailed. Next, Leffler decided it would be perfectly fine to perpetuate the big lie that Donald Trump was cheated out of a re-election victory, that lie being founded on the myth of voter fraud perpetuated in Democratic-leaning counties, urban areas with large populations of people of color, cities like Atlanta, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Detroit, and Phoenix, the largest cities in the five states Joe Biden flipped from the 2016 election. From the time Biden was declared the winner of the 2020 presidential election to January 5th, the day she lost her re-election bid, Leffler never once congratulated him on his victory or referred to him as president-elect. Instead, she repeatedly amplified Trump's false claims of electoral fraud, going so far as to call for the resignation of Georgia's Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, who defended the integrity of an election Biden won, and later of the one Leffler lost. And while Sue Bird, the Dream's Elizabeth Williams, and their WNBA brethren were celebrating their significant roles in having flipped a Senate seat, an accomplishment that should and will be celebrated as history in the making. Leffler was planning the next day to object to the certification of the Electoral College votes based on the big lie. What should have been a process laden with all the drama of watching Chrome rust instead became one of the most harrowing days in American history. And while the bulk of the responsibility has and should be put on Trump's shoulders, people like Kelly Leffler should never be allowed to duck, dodge, or otherwise slough off their responsibility for the siege on Capitol Hill. Up on the steps of the backside of the Capitol, we're seeing protesters overcome the police. The police are now running back into the Capitol building. We have cheers from the protesters that are watching behind the scenes. all to know that I'm safe. This is such a sad day in America. We're sequestered in a room till we're safe. The protesters are still in the building. I just want to say stay strong. And I I don't know what to say about today, but this could never happen again. These acts of sedition and insurrection, encouraged and cited by the president, to whom Kelly Leffler pledged her fealty from day one, appeared to at least somewhat scared her to her senses. When the rioters were cleared from the Capitol and the Senate returned to its duty to certify the results, Leffler was no longer so eager to side with the eight remaining voices of insurrection on her side. Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Cindy Hyde-Smith, John Kennedy, Cynthia Lummis, Roger Marshall, Rick Scott, and Tommy Tuberville. 
When it was her turn to speak, this is what she said. When I arrived in Washington this morning, I fully intended to object to the certification of the electoral votes. However, the events that have transpired today have forced me to reconsider, and I cannot now in good conscience object to the certification of these electors. The violence, the lawlessness, and siege of the halls of Congress are abhorrent and stand as a direct attack on the very institution my objection was intended to protect, the sanctity of the American democratic process. And I thank law enforcement for keeping us safe. I believe that there were last-minute changes to the November 2020 election process and serious irregularities that resulted in too many Americans losing confidence not only in the integrity of our elections, but in the power of the ballot as a tool of democracy. Too many Americans are frustrated at what they see as an unfair system. Nevertheless, there is no excuse for the events that took place in these chambers today, and I pray that America never suffers such a dark day again. I'm running out of ways to call BS on her entire Senate tenure. Really, Kelly, have you not been paying any attention here to the world around you? What did you think was going to happen when you tried to undermine the integrity of November's election? or referred to your opponent as radical and dangerous, and pushed Facebook ads in which his skin was artificially darkened to make him appear more black and more dangerous. These are the seeds you sowed. So I have a question for you. Was it worth it? Your Senate career is over, hopefully permanently. Back in August, a political strategist with ties to several Georgia politicians told the Washington Post that in order to have a shot at winning re-election, Leffler had to fake being what it took to win over Republicans in this current climate. Quote, she's got to go out there and be hardcore on abortions. She's got to be hardcore on guns. In this atmosphere, this is a new thing. She's got to be hardcore on Antifa and BLM and take a firm, decisive, and militant stand on these cultural war issues, unquote. She did all these things, and where did it get her? When Leffler spoke out against Black Lives Matter, the Chicago Sky's Courtney Vandersloot said of her, quote, we don't need you, and that's that, end quote. The WNBA Players Association tweeted in all caps and multiple exclamation points, enough, out. Leffler, meanwhile, did not watch a single game the Dream played after their season opener, and both she and co-owner Mary Brock went months without communicating to the players on their payroll after Leffler sent her open letter to the WNBA commissioner. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that probably did not foster good company morale. Judging by the fact the Dream went 7-15 and 15 and missed the playoffs, I'd guess it's safe to say it sure didn't help. Back in August, a league owner speaking to the Washington Post on the condition of anonymity said of Leffler's campaign strategy to directly take on her players, quote, I would hope that someone can't get away with something like this, with the league being powerless. I thoroughly disagree with an owner usurping the platform and taking it away from what these women stand for and making it personal. I think that's just wrong, end quote. And here, shortly after President Biden's inauguration, we've arrived at the meeting point of this collision course in American politics and society. Between what Kelly Leffler and those who perpetuated and acted on the big lie represent on the one hand, and Raphael Warnock and the players who supported him on the other. This is how Eddie Glaude Jr., the chair of Princeton University's Department of African American Studies, described the meaning of the 24 hours that encompassed both Warnock becoming Georgia's first ever black senator and the first attack on the U.S. Capitol building since the War of 1812. 
on the January 7th edition of the Chuck Toddcast. One way in which I think about what happened last night and what happened in Georgia is this juxtaposition of two worlds, right? One world is dying and we're witnessing it in its death throes. And another one is desperately trying to be born. And part of what we have to do is to try to keep both in view because we're the midwives. We have to give birth to this new America. It doesn't mean that it's going to be democratic, but it's definitely going to be multiracial. And so Georgia represents that possibility for me. And so the WNBA finds itself at the crossroads of what Professor Glaude describes, the death throes of the white grievance and hatred upon which Leffler staked her candidacy and the birth of something new. Her players, her employees fight and hope to be seen, heard, and respected as they never have been before. How should we midwife the process we're seeing unfold in front of our eyes here? My opinion is that the movement in its death throes should be dispensed with as quickly as possible, like putting down a rabid animal. And that would mean bidding Kelly Leffler goodbye. Just a few days after Leffler's election loss, LeBron James publicly floated the idea of buying an ownership stake in the team, with the express goal, I think, of helping force Leffler out. And a day before Joe Biden's inauguration, on Kelly Leffler's final day in the United States Senate, a WNBA spokesperson told the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, quote, as it relates to the Atlanta dream, we understand a sale of the franchise is close to being finalized. Once the sale negotiation is concluded, additional information will be provided, end quote. A dream spokesperson offered no comment to the paper. This can't possibly be the end game Kelly Leffler had in mind. She grew up dreaming of a career in basketball, and 10 years ago when she bought into the Atlanta dream, she made that vision a reality. A decade later, and I would say deservedly so, her employees banded together to get her voted out of office and more than likely hand her a one-way ticket out of the WNBA. It's almost something you couldn't make up. The co-owner of the Atlanta Dream, a team named for Martin Luther King Jr.'s most famous speech, was defeated in her re-election bid by the pastor of the church in Atlanta, where MLK Jr. was once pastor. And in her election loss, her own life's dreams lie in tatters. To that I say good and good riddance. Elections have consequences and someday, some way, everyone is held accountable for their actions. And that's what happened. Thanks to the women of the Atlanta Dream and the WNBA. To them I say thank you. Your actions were nothing less than heroic. This episode of Wrecking the Toy Department was written, voiced, edited, and produced by me, Jake Williams. Thanks as well to Kevin McLeod for the following musical compositions. Organa Rides, Man Down, and Outfoxing the Fox. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend and leave a review and rating on iTunes. Thank you for listening.